This is Courtney Gaines Malachi from Children of the Corner. You're listening to Now Playing Podcast. Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose, who protects our crops. The God of sacrifice. The God who walked on the face of the earth. He who walks behind the rose. speak to me in my dreams and God has told me that it is now our time time to make sacrifice time to kill welcome to now playing's children of the corn retrospective series it is written a leader will come from the corn part of the now playing Stephen King movie review series I offer this to he who walks behind the rose Hosted by Stuart. This is my game. I've played it before and on better courts than yours. Jacob. He thought he had great spirit. And Arnie. Question me not, Malachi. I act according to his will. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review based on the works of Stephen King. I've read the book, and for the first time in my life I know my purpose. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Did your mother teach you how to talk like that? Only when your name came up. Listener discretion is advised. The time of judgment is now at hand. Let the harvest begin. Outlander! We have your podcast! Discussing Children of the Corn, Runaway. I am. I am running as far as I can. Starring Marcy Miller, Jake Ryan Scott, Sarah Moore. Directed by John Gulliger. This is he who talks behind the rose, Arnie. And Stuart. You said it, Stuart. This is the host that wants to run away from this franchise. This is Jacob. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. One more day till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. One more day till Halloween, but we have to talk shitty children of the corn. Yeah, here's a razor in your Snickers bar. (laughs) I knew we'd be back here someday, and I knew it would be soon. Like two women who spend too much time together and their menstrual cycles eventually sync up, so too have Children of the Corn and Hellraiser become on Dimension's same menstrual cycle so they can keep the license. That is true. They are usually crossing over. Both are at a part 10. We just covered at the beginning of this year Hellraiser 10. And I had seen little, I don't know if you'd call them whispers, but somewhere there'd be something someone would post on a horror website saying there was a new Children of the Corn 10 coming. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It came out and like you were holding up a copy. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe it. There's nothing in the box. <laughs> I remember talking about it with Hellraiser 10 saying, hey, that guy, the assessor, he directed the new Children of the Corn, and the director of Judgment's going to appear in Children of the Corn. They filmed in Oklahoma the same way like the Part 9's filmed in Buttfuck Romania with, and came out of the Dimension Extreme label. These things were shot simultaneously in the U.S. this time, though. I want to talk to the marketing department or someone that knows, like, how does Hellraiser 10 and Children of the Corn 10, we're getting another leprechaun, how are these making money for anybody? They keep coming out! Yeah, I don't know how that works. Well, I don't think Hellraiser and Children of the Corn are making money. These are keep the rights movies. Spend as little as you can to contractually keep the license so they don't revert back to Clive Barker or Stephen King because someday we may actually want to do something. Yeah, heaven forbid. I went back and looked at, I didn't listen to any of the old podcasts, but I looked at the arrows. Nine Children of the Corn, 27 arrows, 26 of those are red. Let the rights go. You're not doing anything good with these films. (laughs) You know what I was thinking of? I also looked at those arrows. Have you ever seen one of those lawyer ads where they say they're the winningest? And I don't know if winningest is actually a word, but lawyers across the country use it. Well, I think Children of the Corn is the most losingest podcast series we've ever done. (laughs) Yeah, and I just want to point out, Arnie, you are the one that recommended the very first one, the Linda Hamilton one. 
you found something in that to say, go see it. Hey, I've rewatched it since the series. It's the only Children of the Corn film I think I'll ever rewatch. But I have rewatched it, and I still do find things in there to make it worth a very weak green arrow. But I certainly was not looking forward to part 10. What surprised me is it's been three years since we did this series. It feels like yesterday that I was stuck in this hedge maze. Oh, really? It feels like centuries. Yeah, people are demanding for us to get back to King. Here you go again. Razor bar and the Snickers. (laughs) I love that he's credited in this. I mean, they're still using his name based on a story by. We'll get into it. This has more King connections than most. But why did we wait till October? This came out, yeah, like back in March. Uh, We were busy in March. There were other things going on, like Hellraiser 10. There's only so many things that can fit into a month, and we certainly aren't lacking for putting out shows. But it just seemed like we were trying to decide what were we going to do for our Halloween show. I don't know. It's some kind of homecoming to uh, return to this series for our Halloween week anyway. Yes, and... To Jacob's point, I do want to say this is technically, I guess, a warm start to the return of the Stephen King retrospective series. We've got this. We've got Pet Cemetery's remake coming out in the spring. And then we're going to be doing a lot more Stephen King leading up to It Chapter 2 next year. I think It Chapter 1, as much as anything, is a reason to hold on to rights. That thing made so much money. There's going to be so many King movies now. Yeah, we were already seeing some being greenlit. And if those do good box office, I think we might have a new renaissance of the author's work. And yeah, I could see Children of the Corn being rebooted. But until then, they're just going to knock out small scale stories like this. I suppose it's got a little bit of celebrated lore to it. It is coming to us from John Gulliger, who was a Dimension Discovery Project Greenlight. I actually never watched this series, but it was a reality show on finding independent filmmakers. And for their third season, they went to Wes Craven and tried to find a new horror master. And this was the guy that they found. It was him directing and other guys writing a little movie called Feast, which I guess ended up having some sequels. I went and saw the original and don't want to do that trilogy. (laughs) You guys know Feast? Nope. I know of Feast, but I have not felt compelled to watch it. It's got a lot of attitude. It kind of reminded me of uh, From Dust Till Dawn, also a Dimension project. It took great love in putting all of these cool types in a bar, including, you know, people you know. It was Henry Rollins and people that you know playing various types, you know, the badass, the kid archetypal horror night of the living dead stuff with a monster that took great relish and thwarting convention it didn't feel particularly fresh to me but i can imagine some people laughing and enjoying it the thing i noticed i was looking up cast members from children of the corn runaway and i noticed a name that we discussed before i'd met the man i got his autograph he was the father in nightmare on elm street 2 clue gulliger And then all of a sudden it hit me, wait a second, the director is this famous actor's son. Clue Gulliger has done over 150 movie and television roles. I'm not going to say he's a superstar. His name doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, you called him a famous actor. He's a working actor. Tarantino's using him for his movie next year, so he has some cachet to genre fans. So this guy, John Gulliger, is no Hollywood novice. He grew up the son of a working actor who had probably spent most of his life visiting film and TV sets. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit unfair. The whole point of it was to find people that didn't have a break in Hollywood. But hey, whatever. I don't think anyone came out of that becoming the next voice of cinema history. It it was a little reality show that never seemed to produce too much. There were a couple scandals around it, I recall, but other than that, and John Gulliger, I've never seen any film he's done, but I do own one that I just have yet to watch. I do have Piranha 3 Double D on a 3D Blu-ray somewhere around, but I have not gotten around to watching it. Well, you have seen John Gulliger. We talked about him. Well, I've seen him acting. Yes, Hellraiser. 
I've also seen his camera work and his electrical work. Someday I would love to squeeze in a duology, The Collector and The Collection. A couple of horror movies that came out, and I guess John Gulliger was some kind of crew member on there. He's a grip. He's a renaissance man. Yeah, sometimes he's actor, sometimes he's director. That's kind of the way it goes in independent world. I mean, you end up wearing a lot of different hats when you don't have money to pay people and they flake on you and you end up having to do it yourself. In researching him, the one thing of his that I really did want to see, Porn Star Pets, a video documentary he filmed in 2005. Hmm. You'll have to let me know. But instead, we get Children of the Corn, and I just couldn't get excited for it. Yay! I tried. Good. You know what got me excited? 82 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I did check the runtime, I will admit. You know what got me excited? Only one bonus feature, a useless deleted scene. <laughs> No commentaries or anything of the like. They really just shit this out. I mean, I think we need to remind people who have forgotten or not listened to our Hellraiser retrospective, in which case, shame on you, you should go listen to that. But let's remember, Dimension Films is a subsidiary of the Weinstein Company. When Miramax stayed at Disney, the Weinsteins kept Dimension because Bob Weinstein is really into horror. Harvey Weinstein is really into pressuring women into sex acts, but Bob likes horror films. He likes his horror fictitious. Then why does he put out such crappy ones? <laughs> well, I told you, he watched Hellraiser 10, and they could hear him through the door like, yes, this is great. I mean, he apparently is a non-discerning horror fan. <laughs> But I, I think he's looking at Puppet Master, the littlest Reich, and wondering why can't we do that? But now, Dimension Films is kind of in limbo. The Weinsteins, just in general, are in limbo. Yeah, I do think that'll be another thing about whether this gets rebooted or not, is who ends up with the property, and do they have a vested interest in jumping on the Stephen King bandwagon, should it continue to be successful at the box office after It Chapter 2? We just don't know. We know there'll be nothing in the immediate term because that company is defunct and no one owns this property at the moment. Yeah, it feels like something where this and Hellraiser would like go up for auction or something, but you'd hope that somebody who bought it would have more interest in it than the Weinsteins have had for the decades that they have had a stranglehold on both Hellraiser and Children of the Corn. And they could do a two-for-one. I mean, I'm sure Doug Bradley would be happy eating some kernels of corn. Maybe Pinhead walks behind the rose. I definitely <laughs> think that we've seen more ridiculous concepts in this series. Again, want to remind everyone, never recommended any of them. I have my own scale. If there is anything about it that is compelling, I give it a kernel. If it made me laugh, either at it or, or with it, pat a butter. Or more than likely a husk of just a nothing proposition that I haven't enjoyed. That's the scale I'm coming back to as I approach this needless film. And all three of those are just degrees of red arrows, right? Yes. I mean, if you ever were to recommend a Children of the Corn film, what would you call that? A harvest? Well, we'll find out. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll get into Runaway. Oh, I don't have hopes that this will be the one. <laughs> That's for part 11. Because <laughs> we all know part 11 is the best of all series. All right. Remember the original Children of the Corn? I mean, I know it came out 34 years ago, but there were children and they worshipped he who walks behind the rose. Well, this tale starts there. But from the vantage point of Ruth, a young pregnant blonde woman from that town of Gatlin, Nebraska. She's about to come of age where she has to walk behind the rose and be sacrificed to her sweet pole god. But for her baby's sake, she resists. Instead, in the night, she gets some gasoline and sets fire to the cornfield, presumably killing the Lord of the Maze. She then steals a truck and escapes to become an adult played by Marcy Miller. She gives birth to her son, Aaron, who in adolescent form will be played by Jake Ryan Scott. But despite escaping Gatlin, Ruth spends over a decade living a nomadic life with her son. She has no identification and just goes town to town working odd jobs. Kind of like the Incredible Hulk minus the investigative reporter and the good deeds. 
But she gets enough money at the start of this film to buy a fairly nice pickup truck. But when she's pulled over for swerving in her lane, her truck is impounded. With no registration and no identification, Ruth finds herself trapped in a small Oklahoma town. But there she starts to make a life for herself. Kind car repairman Carl, played by Lynn Andrews III, realizes Ruth is a wizard with engines and gives her a job and a place to stay. And Aaron makes friends with waitress Sarah, played by Mary Catherine Bryant. But Ruth still has problems. She can't enroll Aaron in school without proper identification. She's about to get intimate with Carl, but when Aaron walks in, she changes her mind, leading to workplace tensions and eventually her firing and more. Strange children haunt her, especially a young blonde girl in a yellow dress. Are these children going to repeat here in Oklahoma what happened in Gatlin? Well, kinda. See, there really wasn't a blonde girl in a yellow dress. Ruth is having a dissociative event. She envisions the blonde girl as killing people, but it seems the girl is only targeting people mean to Ruth. And, of course, the actual killer is Ruth herself. No surprise there. I'm going to disagree with this plot summary. Okay, I, I can't wait to hear it, because <laughs> I agree with it so far. But in a more surprising twist, Waitress Sarah was also from Gatlin. But Sarah wants to return to worship the Corn Lord. Sarah teaches Aaron all about the gospel of he who walks behind the rose, and his confirmation comes when he shoves a knife in his mother's skull, killing Ruth. And with Ruth gone, Aaron begins a new congregation of children who are preparing to kill the sinful adults in their town. And Sarah watches from the back of the chapel as credits roll to a scene that shows us the little blonde girl in the embrace of the dark, smoky he who walks behind the rose. All right. So I was impressed the moment this film began. First of all, I mean, it doesn't look like utter video shit. But second, there's this voiceover that discusses Ruth and Ruth being pregnant and burning he who walks behind the rose. And this sparked a memory in me. I had to go break out my copy of Night Shift because I remembered from King's Prose. It was not in the original Children of the Corn. I believe it was in the remake. But Ruth was the lover of Malachi. Remember, Malachi was the ginger who had to go in. Yeah. So she was pregnant with Malachi's child. And at the end of the Children of the Corn short story, Ruth had to watch Malachi willingly walk into the rows and be taken by he who walks behind those rows. And Ruth, in the last paragraph, wants to break free and save her baby and envisions burning the cornfield. She doesn't actually do it, but the last paragraph of that short story is about Ruth dreaming of burning he who walks behind the rose and all the corn and escaping. So this is why King got the credit. They actually kind of use something from that story? Yeah, they aren't sticking so much with that original movie, the Linda Hamilton one, because they're, the adults set it all on fire. But here, it's almost a sequel to that short story where Ruth decides she is going to get some flames and some gasoline and burn down the cornfield. Yeah, I don't think that it is a tie to any previous film, like all of these corn films. It isn't connected, but it is trying to get us back to what we remembered about the story and what happened in the origin of Linda Hamilton version or the Sci-Fi Channel remake. Pick whichever one you prefer. It's a coin toss. I pick King's prose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the prose, sure. Yeah, the, the story. <laughs> They'll even go later on, have a flashback to that original diner massacre scene from the original Children of the Corn, which is probably the best part of that film. So, yeah, they're doing that thing that's popular with sequels these days. Let's ignore all the sequels and we'll just do a sequel to the original film. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's also worth pointing out the guy writing this is Joel Soisson who was the writer-director last time of Children of the Corn, Genesis. Oh, that's not good. Well, but be that as it may. That's the one at the barn or whatever. The it was the Paranormal Activity ripoff. With the scene from Bad Boys. Okay, yeah, I kind of... Uh... Yeah, there's some alright stuff in there. I don't have a, a strong reaction to it. My point for bringing it up is not to bring up bad memories. It was a bad film. I gave it a hug. <laughs> yes. It was to talk about the fact that it looked like he was trying to tell a story that got co-opted into the corn. That he wanted to make a story about child brides and people that had been under a cult where this false messiah had 
perhaps raped and kept these women in captivity. One got away. I'm wondering if this story is not cleaved off from that very same original idea. I'm wondering if his original script might have been one thing that got broken up into children 9 and 10. Because this is the story of someone that got away from a cult and has survivor's remorse. And may or may not be crazy when she's driving along and hears voices that she attributes to locusts, but may just be bad memories of being under the romantic thumb of a cult leader. Well, there were no bonus features of any note, so I can't say if this was his original idea or not. I am glad that he went back. I feel like he did read the King's story for this one, which I never felt with Genesis. I also feel like this title fits. There is a runaway, whereas the last one had no Genesis. But what I can say is I have a problem right at the beginning with Ruth's entire story here. She burns the cornfield. And I think that's a very good visual to start. I mean, I hate to say it, but this movie is actually bringing me in. It is putting away bad memories of eight in your case, is nine films of shit in a row. And I'm like, all right, this doesn't look bad. She's running away from this rural cult she lived in. Why doesn't she go, like, to L.A. and set down roots and have her child and just stay the hell away from the Midwest? Because that boy's got to be, like, 14 minimum. It says 13 years later, so... Okay, so there you go. She's gone from Nebraska to Oklahoma. That is not... <laughs> Look, even if you're walking, you could have got further than that in 13 years. Yeah, get to the coast. Get away from any kind of agriculture. I'd say California. I'd say New York. I was going to say Florida, but in northern Florida, they farm. So, yeah, just... L.A. that you can make a living. You can put down roots and say, hey, I lost my identification. I need a social security number. I came from Gatlin. You hear about Gatlin? God help me. I'm going to evoke it. Elevated horror. We talked a little bit about what this is over if you were a patron this month and listened to The Witch. There is a strain of horror film that has become in vogue. It's been around for a long time, arguably for decades. But it essentially, it's all about emphasis. It has the elements of a horror movie, but downplays suspense, tension, and the things that a gorehound would want to see to tell more dramatic, psychological, allegorical stories. I think that this counts. Believe it or not, we're getting Children of the Corn, the elevated horror movie. I would just expect an elevator grain horror movie. <laughs> but in which we see a, a survivor who can't move on. She is a woman that hasn't moved to L.A. or anywhere else because she can't get over it. And so she's just literally, I think in the very same truck she is, 13 years later, she keeps fixing the same truck and circling the same crop fields because she can't move on. Yeah, I definitely had that thought. We go into that discussion we had about elevated horror and we talked about the psychological aspect and yes, my interpretation is is Ruth is projecting her violent tendencies on a girl in a yellow dress. I'm like, oh this is why I'd rather just have the monsters be real and I hate the psychological aspect to it when it's done so badly. But that thought did come to my head of elevated horror. But I gotta disagree. I don't think this falls in that category. And I never thought about elevated horror so much as I thought, again, and I brought this up in The Witch, about all those bad movies like Identity and In Dreams with Robert Downey Jr. and Annette Bening and so many. I mean, the killer is me? Yeah, we'll get to Shyamalan in a couple weeks. Yeah, hold it. <laughs> So that's all I thought of. Here's my biggest problem with this movie is I don't know that there's any surprise really in this movie. I think it just telegraphs so much. It starts right here at the beginning when she's driving past a cornfield. I wondered if she was in Nebraska and she starts hearing those voices on the radio and swerving all over the road because she's trying to change the station. 
and she's coming from some town where I do not know why it was important to have a titty shot of a prostitute showing. <laughs> I was waiting for that to come back. I'm like, wait, was that Sarah? Because we'll find out Sarah's secret at the end of this film. I'm like, was she following them all along? And that was actually her. But that's a different actress. Guys, I just think this is a normal independent film. Like, do you remember the fact that Children of the Corn 3 had Charlize Theron? This feels like she came back and decided to turn Children of the Corn 10 into one of her kind of women pictures, like Tully or North Country or something. This is a story about a woman who's trying to raise a kid in a poverty situation. A lot of what we see is about depravity and, yeah, just rundown motels and just kind of the purview of indie dramas. This feels like something I would see in a movie that didn't have killer kits. Yeah, a real Florida project here going on. I, I did have that thought with the dirty hotels and the prostitutes, but I think you're overselling it because I don't think it tackles any of those themes real well. It might hint, maybe because there is a guy who is an indie director, he maybe has those sensibilities. I don't think they ever play out, though in this film to make a satisfying, you know, cut out all the blood and gore, make a satisfying drama, as I often find good elevated horror films to be. All right, well, I'll lay my cards out. I actually think it's working pretty well. I'm surprised at how much I like this story, even though I recognize it's not following a formula that will please a horror audience. If you're here to watch a campy movie in which little kids are going to hack people up in creative ways, there might be three scenes for you. And the rest of it is a Charlize Theron drama in which she's got a 13-year-old boy who doesn't respect her as a mother and wants to find roots. And how's she going to help him out? Now, some of this is taken out of her hands because the cops impound her truck. She's caught on the road swerving. And now she's trapped in Luther, Oklahoma. She's going to try to make this work. I think it's an interesting start. I mean, the fact that she has no identification, no registration. This woman, for all intents and purposes, does not exist. And I did wonder, why keep running? I agree with what you said, Stuart. The only explanation I have, because the movie isn't going to give me one, is that she can't let go. But it also made me wonder, is she afraid of being found? Is she afraid that if she gets a social security number and gets a mailing address that, I mean, she was a lone wolf in burning down he who walks behind the rose and running away. Are the other kids, you know, Malachi and whoever else is still around, are they wanting revenge? Well, the sense I got is all the kids die. Later, this story will be rehashed by the people she meets in Luther and they all are like, yeah, we heard everyone there burned up. So the kids are all dead. The question is, did he who walks behind the rose, or Hubie, as I like to call him, did he live? Was she able to burn him? And if not, maybe that is what's chasing her here when she gets to town and a little girl in a yellow dress is following her around. That's what I'm thinking. That is Hubie, or maybe Shubie. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. The moment I saw a little girl in the yellow dress who was blonde and she won't speak, I just put in my notes, it's Ruth as a child. I don't know if it's the past. I don't know if it's the future, but that's Ruth. Yeah, you got it quicker than me then. It, it took until there's only like two kills in this <laughs> film, I think. After the first one, I'm like, OK, I know what's going on. But my problem with the film is I feel it just lacks escalation. It is just Ruth going crazy for most of the film. I can't even say for the full 90 minutes because this film doesn't even break that time mark. But this film meanders most of the time and not in a good way with drama where I'm engaged and, okay, forget the horror stuff. Let me see, you know, this person with survivor's guilt and running from a cult and still having to deal with that. It just wants some kind of escalation. And when this little girl shows up, I'm like, okay, so maybe children are drawn to this person who ran away from this child cult and something's going to happen. Nope. We're just going to see kids and flashbacks and not a whole lot going on for the next 80 so minutes. But the drama is good. I mean, I want to put it out there. Marcy Miller is a alumni from Days of Our Lives. She's a soap actress of some note. And she's getting an opportunity to show that she has some dramatic chops. I'm not going to say she's as, she's not going to win an Oscar. This is not Monster. This is not Sissy Spacek. I think she's aspiring for that kind of role. But the relationship she has with Aaron, I believed it. It felt lived in. It felt like better, more believable characters than we've ever seen in this series. 
I'll agree that the situation does seem plausible, more so than urban harvest and such. I mean, <laughs> come on. And I do like the main performers in this film. Marcy Miller and Jake Ryan Scott primarily, but also Mary Catherine Bryant and Lynn Andrews III. I think all of them are actual competent actors who convey a lot through facial expression and body language. And I mean, you mentioned Charlie's Theron, but I think of the children of the corn with Eva Mendez. That's more the level of acting I'm used to seeing in a children of the corn film. These you say soap opera, she's better than what I expect out of a soap actress. Yeah. Agreed. I'll agree with you guys here that the acting is above average, especially for a cornfield. I think this is competent filmmaking. I don't feel like this is a cheap production. I don't know what the budget was. I can't imagine it was much, but I feel like, yeah, things look good. Things flow, the editing, all that, all the technical aspects. Great. I just feel the character, the writing, yeah, we get an interesting premise and then it meanders for the rest of the film. That's my problem is, great, you set up some interesting characters with dilemmas and where are we going to go from there? And we're going to get a lot of eating onion burgers. We do get a lot of drama and not a lot to be afraid of. I don't think we get drama, though, though, because drama means there's still conflict. It's just not we're chopping people up to resolve it. And again, I don't feel like there's much escalating throughout this film until, yeah, people get stabbed. It's not much, but there was a great movie on this subject, but an ex-cult victim trying to find a boyfriend, trying to reintegrate with her family. It was Martha Marcy May Marlene. It's a terrible title, but a great film in which Elizabeth Olsen gives it her all. This is not on that level, but I do feel like, yeah, the drama is what would it be like to have a past like this woman? And then, yeah, suddenly you meet a guy, your son is taking to the school, is becoming friends with this waitress, and you're starting to find roots again. It feels nothing like a Children of the Corn movie. But it does feel like drama movies I have seen and appreciate it. And I'll say there is escalation because you start with the bad situation, right? She just is trapped in this town. She's homeless. She has nothing. And that's within the first five minutes of the movie. But then she starts to build a life for herself. And this is drama. She gets a job. She goes and applies for a job with this Carl who has the local mechanic shop. And she's apparently a great mechanic. And he says, absolutely not. But sees her and Aaron out in the rain, has a place where they can stay, offers her a working wage. And then, yeah, Aaron starts to make friends with the waitress who works across the way. And Ruth is making friends with Sarah as well in that Sarah is agreeing to basically be a babysitter while she's a waitress. Yes, you can leave your son here while you go work at the car shop. But there still is a little bit of tension. And what we're told, she sees a locust on her coffee cup. And Aaron tells her, when you hear the locust, whatever happens next isn't real. She has a vision, a replay of what happened in Gatlin, the murder in the cafe. And I knew this was not real. I saw those kids come in. I'm like, this movie isn't going in that direction. There aren't kids in the movie enough where I believe all of a sudden we're going to turn 90 degrees and she's the new Linda Hamilton on the run from kids. But the moment Aaron says, it's all in your head, I'm like, oh God, she's the killer. I don't know that I believe that conclusively at the end. Like, I assumed that early, and I actually think that that little girl is not her. Well, you have to spell that out because I agree with Arnie. Like, yeah, she is the killer. She can't escape that past. It's still whatever powers Hubie has, they're still pulling on her. Right. And eventually we are going to get some deaths. The closest we have to an actual This Belongs in the Children in the Corn movie is Rally, this redneck who is basically just a loudmouth in the diner, uh, one of many customers that Sarah mistreats. And he goes off to get his afternoon nap. I'm not sure if he's employed or anything. It doesn't really matter. The point is, little girl in a yellow dress will lure him in a barn, take him out with a mallet. You think that might have worked. And then I kind of love that he wakes up with some black eyes, gets up, runs at her, doesn't realize he has a wire serrating noose around his neck. 
It is a good kill. I just want to know where they play croquet in Oklahoma in this town because she doesn't just have a mallet. She has a croquet mallet. And unless she walked off the set of Heathers, I want to know where she got it. Yeah, I don't know. It has no corn in this movie. One of the shocking things about it, and maybe you could say that's part of the point, is that she's ventured away from corn country. She won't drive back to Nebraska. But I would think with corn in the title, you would at least throw an ear or two in here. But this is different kind of farmland. Even Urban Harvest had corn. (laughs) But this is in a barn. You asked if this guy has a job. I took him to be a farmer. And farmers do, you know, wake up at the crack ass of dawn, do their farming before the sun gets hot. And then they go out and, you know, probably have lunch at a diner and go home to sleep. So here I couldn't tell if he had a corn farm. There's a lot of hay around and I don't see any animals. But his death was kind of fun. And this girl who plays, she's just titled Pretty Girl. But the blonde girl in the yellow dress, Sarah Moore, she does pretty well. I like when she does that little curtsy Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make him run at her. I agree. I think she's the second spookiest kid the series has ever produced. Nothing will top Isaac. But yeah, she kind of works as a little evil Elizabeth Moss is kind of what she got to me. She's a little bit goth, but in a yellow dress. No, it doesn't do anything for me. Isaac was creepy. This one, putting the girl in the yellow dress and she's skipping, but she's really killing people. It seems cliche to me. Oh, no. Let me not overstep in praise and saying that you're getting an original vision here. This is all tropes and cliches and things you've seen before, but they're working so much better than we've ever seen this series pull it together. I'll just say it right now, whether it's a recommender or not, I'll hold back, but this is my favorite of the Children of the Corn series because it's the only one you can take seriously. Wow. Is this a concept you can take seriously, though? I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're trying to sell it as I've escaped a cult and you're going to deal with that kind of fallout, then you can take it seriously. I just maybe I wish this wasn't a corn film and it was just about getting away from a cult and dealing with having to deprogram yourself. And keep in mind what the screenwriter, I believe, wanted to make a child bride movie, didn't want to make a corn movie. And I think that's where all of this is coming from an impulse that is far away from King that they tied back to King. It would have worked better for me if they'd actually showed cultish behavior then. All we get is this opening where she's burning down the corn. If we could have had 20 minutes, and this is a short movie, adding 20 minutes is not asking a lot. If we'd had 20 minutes where we got to see her with maybe Malachi, the father, and see him walk back and see her indoctrination and see her break from the cult, I think it would help sell that a lot more. You are putting a lot of stuff into the story that makes sense when you say it, but it's not in the movie. You're bringing into the movie ideas that this movie never sells. I'm not making this up. It's in the movie, but it, maybe it undersells the ideas. What the flashbacks we do get are just of the gruesomeness that she has PTSD. And so, yeah, when she's in the diner, she thinks about the best scene in the whole franchise where mass murder happened by the kids at the diner. Again, she's an unreliable narrator. Are these images she can't shake? Are these things that are going to come because later we'll find out her son is running off in the middle of the night? He's playing with corn. He's hanging out with kids and ripping out innards of a sheep. Yeah, I feel like all these flashbacks, that is to get your gore that I think most people that come to watch this film are going to want to see. I got to ask, though, when they do that flashback in the diner, was this supposed to be a 3D movie? Because they do this weird, like, almost freeze frame stuff, like the blood in midair just, like, hanging there, which they do in a lot of 3D stuff, so that really pops out. This was never going to be a 3D movie. This was barely filmed. It almost could have been a stage play for the budget they gave. Yeah, I just think it's CGI because they either didn't have the squibs or maybe they didn't want to expose these small children to such a gory scene. All of the bloodletting is mostly done with pixels. But it kind of looks cool. You know, it doesn't look bad is what I'll say. But I thought the slow-mo blood really had a prettiness to it. But it also helped me know this was all in her head before the movie reveals it. I'm like, okay, this artsy way of showing it tells me we're just stretching out until we realize she's insane. Why did you guys conclude that that's what's happening? Well, I guessed it, but when we get to the end, you see the little girl has committed a couple more murders, 
and she has blood splattered on her in a very specific pattern. And then Sarah walks in, and we see Ruth is now standing where the little girl was, and Ruth has the blood on her from all the murders. Right. I mean, she will eventually feel like she's being framed by he or she who walks behind the rose, that Hubie or Shuby is doing this to her to make her look bad. She'll say that out loud. That's why he goes after Carl later, who she had a brief affair with. Yeah, see, that's what's weird, is they set up this first kill, and then with Carl, people that had wronged her, made fun of her, or whatever, so I'm like, oh, okay, that's her. The only thing that may convince me that it's Sarah that's actually the little girl is, yeah, when we do get that scene at night, and Aaron is outside talking to the girl in the yellow dress... And Ruth is watching. Yeah, that is a little weird. So maybe that is Sarah's influence there. My belief, because many times Ruth is seeing this little girl and she's chasing after the little girl. And there's a moment with Aaron where Aaron is making some kind of corn husk doll thing. I don't know. It just looks like you stick something through a ear of corn and say it's an action figure. It needed a close-up. Yeah, but I know what you're talking about. And she goes, well, who taught you to do that? You did, Mom. She's doing things that she does not remember doing. And when she does them, she sees herself as this little yellow-dressed girl. Yeah, see, I thought the movie was telling us this little girl is her, and the twist ending is that it ends up not being the case, that it's leading us down a path and then totally surprises me because I'll just skip to it. I did not see that Sarah was going to be Shuby. No, that was a surprise. The thing is, we love her devilishness. She tells us early on she's a bad character. She heats up spoons when people complain the soup is too cold and then they burn their mouth. And we think it's funny because we think all these rednecks in this diner are awful. And who wouldn't pity her to have to work in these conditions? But in fact, she is enjoying torturing small town because that's... That's her job. That's what she does when she walks behind the rose. And for whatever reason, the filmmakers give us a nice close-up of her cleavage. She keeps that shirt one button unbuttoned. It turns out she was also one of the topless female judges in Hellraiser Judgment. So if you want more than this film gives, go see Hellraiser, I suppose. Yes, and another person that also played that. Again, Gulager played the guy that chewed up the paper and spit it out. And these women sorted through that paper to pass the judgment. The other one is this school teacher that, or principal. I'm not sure what she is. She's the all-around authority at the local Luther school that won't allow Aaron to have an education here, won't allow him to fit in, seems to have some resentment towards Ruth even being here. And so we know she's set up to be killed. Yeah, they do play a whole race thing because she works with Carl. Rumors that she's hooking up with Carl, who's African-American. She makes some derogatory statement about that relationship. Yeah, this woman was in Feast. She's the director's wife. She was one of the judges in Judgment. And we really want to see her go down. It's strange that it happens off camera. It's teased for a long time. We see that little girl go into that house. And a whole day passes before we have confirmation when Ruth is going to go in that house and find that body on the floor. But again, I think the movie is telling us, you are still a psycho kid. You did kill your mother. I think one of the shocking deaths in this movie is we have a flashback of the only scene in corn of her POV slashing her own mother's throat. I think that there's a part of her that fears that she could do that again. And the reason it's POV is because the movie doesn't want us to see it's the blonde girl in the yellow dress slitting the throat. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Again, it could be a manifestation of her. I'm not even saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I never found that to be conclusive. And I do think whatever it is, it's a vision used to manipulate her and to bring her to this location. It has all been a trap for her to return to small town America and set up roots so that Aaron can actually be taken from her and start a new corn cult. Ruth may be being controlled by Hubie or Shebe, as you're calling her now, but I think she is the killer. I mean, she'll go and she'll sit on that swing and watch the principal leave the school and, hey, you can't be here. Like, the director is telling me that Ruth is the killer. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So much so that it's actually a surprise when she's not. When in the end, we realize the real killer is this waitress, Sarah. I don't buy that. Sarah could be controlling her, but it's Ruth killing. I won't debate that point. You may be right about that, but ultimately, all of this is a Svengali plot of Shuby to get a new thing going here in Luther. But I'm not convinced that it's 
puppeting. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that Ruth has always had mental problems. I mean, she hears a locust and then imagines stuff. And that's just normal behavior for her that Aaron has come to recognize. And is Sarah calling Ruth to town? That would make sense with the whole radio thing and getting pulled over. Mm -hmm. But I also think Ruth was ready to be set off and Sarah was pulling the right strings. I knew Sarah was going to become really evil because she has that moment with Aaron where she goes, I bet you'd kill to have a normal life. And so right there, I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but Sarah's in on it. Yeah, that line, you know, anytime someone uses the expression kill, even meant in passing, if it's in a horror movie, you know that's significant. We all presume that young Aaron is going to get mixed up with Hubie. But I just never anticipated in all his time hanging out at the diner, I thought that funny waitress was the kind of person that gets killed in a movie like this. It was a surprise to find out that she was orchestrating it. Yeah, I was entertaining for a little bit of this movie that maybe the girl in the yellow dress was a projection of Aaron. And like, I'm like, oh, maybe they're going for some real gender bender type thing where Ruth just can't accept that her son is the killer now, that he's carried on this tradition that from her being in this corn cult. But no, that doesn't play out. There's a lot more interesting thing. Again, the way things play out. Oh, Sarah's Hubie now. I guess that was a little bit of a surprise, but not a whole lot of twists and turns going on here. And again, to go back to your guys' point, It may be, in fact, that all the people we see were killed by Ruth in a disassociative moment. She had reason to be angry at all these people. That redneck at the beginning smarted off to her when she she overreacted. She saw some kids in the diner. She thought they were going to break out knives, and she hit one of them. He said something to her. Maybe that was enough to send her off and kill him in a barn. Obviously, Carl, it went bad. He started off, it was kind of sad, really, honestly. He set him up with the house, gave him the job. You can sense with his handicap, he was needing love, she was needing love. When it didn't work out, he became very bitter. And yeah, maybe she comes back in this scene and stalks him in the body shop. I thought that kill basically solidified it because he doesn't say anything. He's like, what are you doing here? Yeah, it seems like it was so forced for him not to say, little girl, why are you doing this to me? I'm like, come on, they're trying their hardest to make this a surprise. It's not working, though. Like, it's so forced. And likewise, to not go, Ruth, you crazy bitch, what are you doing? I didn't quite get their relationship because Ruth works for him. You could tell he likes her because he checks out her ass and then gives her some coveralls. So he isn't tempted to look at her ass. You know, we're in the day of Me Too and all of that. But I don't feel at any point that Carl was inappropriately coming on to an employee. He even says to her, we don't have to do this. And she pursues him. Yeah, but after Aaron walks in on him and she shoes him out of the house, he does turn pretty bitter. And, you know, he uses this excuse that she didn't put the oil cap back on a car and the engine seized up. And so he's got to fire for that. But I feel like there's other reasons he's firing her. And yet it's nuanced enough to feel like drama. Again, elevated horror. In a horror movie, he would just be an ugly guy that would make a pass at her, grope her, and she would maybe respond by killing him in that way. Here, it's all about characters trying to move on from painful situations and not being able to. I just appreciated the fact that we're having a debate, which again, elevated horror doesn't mean it's better. It just means that it's more cerebral. And I feel like easily this Children of Corn is smarter than anything we've seen in this series. But no, I think we all know at the end of the day, she is going to have to face Hubie, Shubie, and her son. It's not a surprise that he will betray her when she's begging him to run away. That was the one thing that shocked me is because we saw him go with Sarah. Ruth had said to Sarah, please get him away from here. And she says she will. And then we see them on top of a water tower and... Aaron goes, we're not leaving, are we? And Sarah says, no, we aren't. And so I think something's going to happen to him. What I didn't get is that those onion burgers were laced with doctrine. And she's like, do you know Aaron never read the Bible? And when Ruth says, Aaron, run, I'm used to these movies having some kind of uplifting ending where there's a survivor. I thought Ruth was going to die because Ruth has killed people. So I thought Aaron would escape. 
And so that was the only thing that shocked me the whole time is when Aaron pulls that knife and puts it through Ruth's jaw. I'm like, damn, that was the one time in this whole movie it got ahead of me. Yeah, that moment is shocking, but I had an overall sense that this would end in tragically, partly because the movies this is reminding me of Wicker Man or, or Don't Look Now, our films where they lead you towards one impression and then do something very cynical, very bitter as a twist at the end. I thought that that's what they were making. And indeed, it is what they're making. This is Wicker Man 2018 with corn and, and not wicker. Oh, please bring the bees back. But this ending, okay, so Ruth is killed and Aaron is going to start a new Children of the Corn cult. And I do love the ending. Again, Jake Ryan Scott, kudos to him for performance because when he's standing up there preaching about the sinners and everything, it doesn't look ridiculous. He played good son and he's playing crazed preacher just as well. And he's preaching to the choir out there. But in the back is Sarah. And what I'm thinking is, why is she for this? Because what's going to happen is they're going to kill her. They will kill everyone over 16 and she's over 16. Yeah, congrats. You've revived the cult that you came from. But you're going to be dead pretty soon. And again, what, what is this character? Is she the black mass that's embracing the little girl? Is she the little girl at the end? I, I don't feel like it's so clear cut that we understand her role. We just know that she has wanted in all of this. Her grand design was to get the thing that burned down in the field 13 years ago to take root here in a new city. But did this movie take root with you guys? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Children of the Corn? Runaway? I ask with far more trepidation than I ever expected. <laughs> Jacob. You know, I, I wrote my not recommend before I even put this film on. I was going to say, whoever did the uh, proofreading for the artwork here got it wrong. They forgot to put a space between run and away because that's what you should do is run away. Uh, it's not that bad. You could walk away from it. <laughs> it's not so bad like some of those other corn films. Like I said, the acting's, yeah, it's pretty good. It's best acting so far for these corn films and just the filmmaking, you know, it, it looks good. I just found the lack of escalation in this film. It just meandered for me. They're like, oh, we need some blood. Let's do a flashback because there's very few kills, I guess in real time, I'll call it, in this film. There's like two, maybe three. But it, just a lot of flashbacks every time they need to show some blood. And the drama stuff, it could have been interesting. I just didn't find it that interesting here. Again, I just never felt it was moving forward towards something. So, yeah, maybe it's one of the better Corn films, but it's still not a recommend. Stuart. It's not a husk. It's not a pat of butter. And I think there's more than one kernel of a good idea here. I'm going to go all the way, guys. The second green arrow of the franchise. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A very competently made little elevated horror movie about a woman with PTSD that is trying to survive a cult and has a wicker man or don't look now kind of twist that worked for me. I can't really find anything wrong with this movie other than it's just very small and it's tied to a series that we just want to burn to the ground. It is because this has abused us so much that I think many people are unwilling to consider that this, by not really feeling like the previous installments, has gone a different way and succeeded at very modest ambitions. It's a mile recommend. Don't get me wrong. It's no classic. I'm not saying you have to see it. But if you do see a Children of the Corn film, make it <laughs> run away. Number 10. You know, Stuart, tomorrow's Halloween, not April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I can't wait to hear the reactions. All I say is before you hassle me, take a look at the film. I think you'll see that what I've described, at least, is not the monstrous, horrible films that we've had with part six, part five, part Two, part three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> three is still my favorite. <laughs> but I agree with you in certain regards. I came in here dreading this because how many times do I have to put my hand on the electric fence before I realize that burns? Not enough. That's why we have now playing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how many Uva Bowl movies have you done? Right. And there's more to come. But. Pretty soon, within five minutes of this movie's beginning, I realized somebody had unplugged the fence. And 
I really came to appreciate aspects of this. And I can say by 15 minutes into this movie, all preconceived notions of Children of the Gorn were out the window. I was ready to go, shit, could this actually be good? Hellraiser Judgment was good. Could these people in Oklahoma be starting a horror film renaissance of low budget franchise installments don't go crazy now you're the one that gave it a green arrow i know but i'm not a no renaissance i'm not using that word i'm just saying hellraiser 10 i gave a recommend and i'm giving children of the quarantine a recommend and you're calling it elevated horror and yet you're running from renaissance yeah but i agree with jacob that an 80 minute movie dragged for me in the middle i was checking the timer more than once and i'm like the first time i'm like oh good it's only 80 minutes the second time i'm like god there's still 30 left yeah it's a long 82 minutes it is i then i kept hoping maybe it was going to totally go jonah hex and 10 minutes of it would be credits (laughs) but there are things to like here and i will call them out i think it is a good looking film not great nothing you know if you go to a midnight showing and one screen showing lawrence of arabia and the other showing this don't pick this but it looks good no it looks good for a film with no budget i'm guessing yeah and it has good performances the effects are very good there's not a lot of them but they're good what they have so why aren't you going to recommend it because i feel it's obvious and slow there was only the one shock to me I feel very convinced by the film grammar that Ruth was the killer, and the only shock is that Aaron killed Ruth, and it takes a long time to get there, a lot of nothing. I feel that it became almost like an episode of Our House for a period there, you know, where she was just getting the job and losing the job and trying to get in the school. There were so many knocks against her that in the end, didn't really pay off. I mean, it just took a long time to get where it was going, and I feel it didn't go very far. Much like Ruth herself, it didn't get far enough away from Gatlin. It's a weak not recommend. That's what I'll give it. And it was always going to be a weak not recommend. And I dare say, I'd have to look it up, but I'm betting this is the second best of the franchise in my opinion. Okay, still, we're really not that far apart. All of us came here with PTSD thinking, God, not again. When can we ever get away from this? And we found things to admire that at least put it ahead of at least 60% of what was in the series so far. Yeah. Not hard to do, though. Fear minimum competence puts a film at that level. Yeah, I, I get you. And, I, and I'm not trying to overstate my recommend by saying this is something you have to see. I'm just surprised that I found it easy to watch and even kind of clever. The crazy thing was there's a cult reputation around Feast, and I thought that movie was terrible. But Gulliger didn't write that movie. He was assigned that script and just had to direct it. Maybe it was a good directing job of a script I just didn't think was that funny. I think he's got some talent. I think this guy has earned the right to make a good movie. He doesn't need to make some dimension schlock anymore. Give him a real script, see what he can do. So is Piranha next up on our franchise list with three double D? I just said give him a real script. But I think he's got some chops. And again, for having this little expectation and all of a soap actress and probably no money on a part 10 of a shit franchise, we should all be screaming to Hubie. And it really was not painful at all. No, it didn't hurt me. It wasn't the best use of my time by any means. But yeah, I never felt like this was something that was trying to inflict upon me. I mean, yeah, Jacob, you bring up Uva Bowl, and yeah, that I feel he wants to hurt me. Here, I think people made this film with the best of intentions and the lowest of budgets. All right, you guys don't agree elevated horror. Maybe that's a bridge too far. Do you guys want to do some elevated horror? We got a surprise for folks. Tomorrow is Halloween. We had a lot of requests, and finally a donor came forward to make it happen. We're reviewing Hereditary. Three R? Yeah, this is news for Jacob, too. (laughs) (laughs) This is news to me. Surprise! Good news, bad news. You get to watch Hereditary again. Yeah, I want to watch it again. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Patron really wanted to hear us talk about it. So we're going to make that a Halloween bonus show 
for everyone, not just for patrons. Everyone's going to get to hear our take on Hereditary, and hopefully everyone can remember that it is patrons, especially super patrons like Mark, who do this, that allow us to do the show we put out every Tuesday, plus the patron shows we put out once a month, plus the donation shows we're putting out nearly every Friday, and still every once in a while a bonus show like we're doing tomorrow for halloween so thanks to all of our supporters thank you for listening to children of the corn and i hope you join us tomorrow for hereditary and we'll be back tomorrow malachi we'll be back tomorrow I'm leaving now. I'm gonna go find some people and tell them about what's happening here in Gatlin. I don't think they'll believe me at first. I don't think I believe it myself. But they will. Eventually. You guys all belong in an asylum somewhere. Looney Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Congratulations, Tiger. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty much all you need now that the Sopranos is dead and buried. <laughs> Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on Stephen King's books and short stories. This is the word of he who walks by in the rose. We do this work for Shine Shadow. At our sister podcast, booksandnachos.com, you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original Stephen King books and short stories on which these films are based. You should look it up. You still remember how to read, don't you? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Maximum Overdrive, The Mangler, Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and more. Find dozens of Stephen King movie reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Well, these kids watch too many horror flicks. Also at our website, you can find reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Scream, Transformers, Robocop, and hundreds more. Movies are filled with violence, blood, and bodies, naked bodies, flying together, glorifying Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. Can't you for one moment conceive of something in this universe that's larger than you? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. $200. Uh-uh, Joby. How much? Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. I don't want to be the one in charge when the heads start doing 360s in a hurling pea soup. Now playing credit narration by Brock. He filled me with the words. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now playing podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. That won't matter to Isaac and Malachi. They'll take it as a sign. You speak for the others or only for yourself? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. I am the word and the giver of his laws. Disobedience to me is disobedience to him. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. So what do we do about the children? Tell their story. Let the healing begin. It's not too late for that, is it? No. There was a great movie on this subject, but an ex-cult victim trying to find a boyfriend, trying to reintegrate with her family. It was, and I can never fucking remember the name of it. Um, Elizabeth Olsen. It's like Mary Marcy Malane Mama. Ah, fuck. What the fuck is that called? Uh, <laughs> Ma- Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yeah. Goddamn. Awful name. I say it one more Martha time. Martha Marcy. We're reviewing Heredity.
We are? Yeah, this is news for Jacob, too. <laughs> this is news to me. Surprise! Good news, bad news. You get to watch Heredity again. Yeah, I want to watch it again. <laughs> bad news, we got another show to tape. Boy, this is a workload that doesn't end. Yeah, Hereditary, actually. Uh, we're re- Hereditary. And if you want to say we're, you can watch Hereditary again. What are you talking about? It's Hereditary. It's not Heredity. I said Heredity. It is Heredity. Here... Terry, if there's an R in it. Oh. Yeah, it's hereditary. Hered it yeah, it is hereditary. Oh, it is? I've said it wrong the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kept going back and forth, like everyone was. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I've never said it right. So it's called hereditary. Yeah. Huh. Okay. It doesn't much matter one way or the other, but um you get to watch hereditary again. I hope you join us tomorrow for heredity. Hereditary. Is it hereditary? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I hope you join us tomorrow for hereditary. We're just going to rename it. They're wrong. (laughs) He got hereditary. (laughs) Oh, and what was the last line of this? Mm. And I heard all nine shows and I can't tell you. You re-listened to them? Oh, um, yeah. I re-listened to all. I was on a road trip, so it was easy to do. I had hours and hours. We'll see you next week, Malachi. Or, Yeah. We'll see you next week, Malachi. We'll see you next week. And we'll be back tomorrow, Malachi. Did you mean to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It's kind of cool. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I wanted some mood music. Mm, it worked. <laughs>